Thank you for joining us on the Real Religion Podcast today, where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion. Good afternoon, well, good afternoon. Rabbi Eric. How are you? Good afternoon, Rabbi Joel. I'm wonderful. <laughs> rabbi Joel, you? thank you for that. I appreciate that. Did I call you? Uh, let's you... start that over. <laughs> no, let's start. I thought... love it. We need that in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you are a teacher. No question. In, in the Presbyterian Church, we are often called teaching elders. So I like that. And I learned uh, when I watched the show The Wire. Have you seen The Wire? Uh-uh that uh, police officers will call their lieutenants rabbi. What? Yes, true story. It, it, they talk about, I have to talk to my rabbi. <laughs> is that just the Jewish police officers? Or? No, that's what I thought. I, I actually thought that at first, but it is a thing. It, it's, an actu- it, it's a term in law enforcement. It gets into the culture of the police force entire, entirely. Yeah. I love that. Super uh. interesting. So today, uh, it it sounds like our topic is somehow uh, forgiveness. And what does forgiveness look like? What is mercy? What what does it look like to let go of resentment or or being upset? In in our world right now, there's a lot of calls for forgiveness and let it go and and get over it. Yes, a quick call for unity. And, and those tend to be spiritual, even religious terms that we are accustomed to using and encouraging our people to practice. But I sense that the way it's being used in the bigger world right now doesn't match the way you and I think about them as religious concepts. So I think that's uh, fair to say, yes. <laughs> what, what does forgiveness look like in your, uh, in your faith and practice? Well, forgiveness is very much tied to this concept in Judaism. It's the only Hebrew word I'll, I'll teach today, uh, tshuva. It almost sounds like someone's sneezing. Uh, in English, you'd, pr- you'd spell that T-S-H-U-V-A-H. And uh, it literally means returning. Uh, it's often translated as repentance or forgiveness. And it is the action that we all aspire to on the holiest days in our calendar, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. So Rosh Hashanah celebrates the creation of the world, and Yom Kippur is the day of repentance, where we stand before God and stand before our community and uh, essentially recount our mistakes, and uh, I'll use the loaded word sin, because that, that is a Hebrew word, hate in Hebrew. I've already used more than one Hebrew word. Let it rip, buddy. It's who you are, and that's why we're doing this. But tshuva is a good word for everyone to know um, because it is such a powerful concept in Judaism. And there's so much to it. One thing um, is that if you uh, did something wrong in the past year, and and this could be something relatively minor to something that, that, you know, tragic and illegal, uh, you know, that whole spectrum – you are obligated to approach the person or people you hurt. Now, they are not necessarily obligated to forgive you, although it's it's highly uh, encouraged and even expected. But if if you've approached someone with the correct um, attitude, I mean, we know what a fake apology sounds like, right? I mean, I've given them to my wife sometimes. I'm sure we've all heard that. I'm sorry, you were offended. (laughs) That's right. Yes, my favorite. Um, 
if you've approached who you've wronged three times and they haven't forgiven you, it's as if you've been forgiven because you have done what you needed to do. Uh, one thing that's extremely important in our liturgy is it says, for sins against God, God forgives. But for sins or wrongdoing against people, God only forgives after those attempts at approaching the people. And that's hard. Mm -hmm. I mean, conflict is hard and approaching someone with that vulnerability. But uh, at the end of the day, there are only three things in Judaism that cannot be forgiven. And that's uh, sexual impropriety, murder, and um, apostasy. And even that is debated. And and I, I sometimes have define the apostasy for uh, for folks. Oh, like uh, leaving the religion, and and very vocally denying God. And and we've talked about on previous episodes. I mean, there are lots of Jews who are atheists. Many of my congregants are like that. And I and I and that's not a disparaging thing. That's a fine and wonderful thing. It makes up part of the diversity of our community. So I wouldn't define apostasy quite in that way, nor would I say that it's unforgivable. But it, it shows the gamut of things that are forgivable and that in Judaism, you seek out tshuva. I'll, I'll say one more thing on this uh, regarding how seriously we take this, and that's with regard to rabbis. So we as clergy of, in the reform movement, and every denomination has its way of doing this, has an ethics committee, and we have an ethics standard. And, it ha and, and there, are, there are times when rabbis have violated the ethics code and not necessarily done anything illegal, but have done things immoral. And there is a process of tshuva for those rabbis that do those things where it's possible for them to grow, for them to find healing, for their congregation to find healing. And so it, it is woven into who we are, not just as a religion and this kind of theological construct, but it's an actual process. It, parallel, right beside you, we have in our uh, Presbyterian Church USA Constitution in the Book of Order section, a fourth of it is dedicated to discipline. And when a, a teaching elder, a pastor, or a ruling elder, or deacon, or just a general member gets that far out of bounds, there is a defined process of uh, confession and repentance and repair and reconciliation. Uh, now, I some of the most painful moments in my life serving uh, not necessarily as a pastor of a congregation, but as a presbyter, a colleague beside other preachers and teachers in, in our denomination, is to watch uh, a fellow preacher or pastor go way out of bounds and get caught. And yep. it becomes public. And then there's an investigation and some accusations and the process starts. And it's, I think it, it would be fair to say for us, it's, it's our version of Chua, a process of hopeful reconciliation. But more times than not, the process is so painful for the accused, the one who's out of bounds. They choose instead to renounce the jurisdiction of the church over their life and turn and walk away. Um, and when that happens, we let them go. And they are, it's not like they're dead to us, but they lose all their pastoral authority in the denomination. And 
uh, and, and off they go. And even then, there is a way for them to turn, repent, and come home. And even then, there is a way for reconciliation to happen. But usually, the humility and vulnerability it takes is so big, people, pastors, can't do it. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that's very, that's similar. Um, yeah, I mean, it, and this goes back to what we talked about uh, earlier with regard to the question of our clergy, you know, holier or better than anyone else. And the answer is no. Uh, there, there is the gamut of things that clergy do from, you know, minor mistakes to being disorganized to forgetting appointments to – a, a different realm of, of doing unethical things. And, you know, I'd like to think no one starts out that way, but there, there is, you know, there is a, a power, I think, that, uh, that clergy have. And, and that word humility comes up a lot that we have to remember to be, to, to show humility in that power. So you were saying, and that built into that one word, chuha, is the repentance and the forgiveness. I think that will make a lot of Christians uh, squirm a bit because we really see those two not uh, attached to one another. I, now, I'm not saying I do. I I like the way that you're describing it, but I think that the typical Christian would imagine repentance as step one and forgiveness as a possible step two and would make them conditional if repentance, then forgiveness. But the way you're describing it, they are conditional. They are attached and, and well, woven they, into one process, one one moment. Yeah, they are to a degree separate. But at the same time, for one to really do chuva implies the uh, – the necessity for them to forgive perhaps the most important person, which is themselves. It's easy, and I, I've been down this road uh, at times, it's easy to be so upset at something you've done that you're frozen in that regret. I think of Lot's wife being turned to the pillar of salt uh, in, the, in the Bible, that uh, we feel so sad that we don't take action to repair it. And so that, that's an element of how they're intertwined. In the earliest sections of the, the gospel narratives, uh, John the Baptist and, and Jesus, but mostly John, talk a lot about repentance. And that comes from the a Greek word uh, that means turn back, uh, go backwards, turn, turn around to a 180, look where you used to be and return to that. Uh, so it, that means that a person has to realize, one, not only am I headed in the wrong direction, but I've been headed in the wrong direction for some time. And the realization of that is disorienting. Somebody can feel like, oh, no, what have I done? I've, If I've been wandering down this rabbit hole, I probably hurt people. I probably said things. I, I've, And that shame of finding yourself that far off path can lead to the inability to forgive oneself. But as you say, repentance, it, it has to, when you turn around and you look at the path you came through, you have to be able to go, yeah, I did that. 
but it's not over. There's there's still hope. There's still forgiveness. I there, there's a path home as well as there was a path away. And that it, it, it's so interesting. Always learning the parallel parallels and resonances between uh, specific topics. So chuva that literally means turning. And it's not quite a return to the past, although we use the same word sometimes in our liturgy. Uh, For example, when we put the Torah back in the ark at the end of every Shabbat service, Friday night service, we sing a, a very powerful Hebrew song where the translation is, return us, God, to days of old. Um, but the real meaning is kind of turning, I, the way I phrase it is turning to find the best part of yourself, turning to a new future, not turning back. It's not make America great again. It's, it's renewing. Um, and that renewal may have inspiration from where you were at, in a more innocent time or a better time, but it is still moving forward. Nice. I, thanks for the, it's not yeah. make Israel great again. Um, <laughs> There is something that we know that we were children of God. We are children of God, created in God's image and and precious in God's sight. But we also see the brokenness. And we aren't trying to go back to the brokenness of 30 years ago or 60 years ago or 100 years ago. We are trying to go all the way back to the the created wow. image of God. So if, if someone is trying to say, Ooh, we need to go back to when voting rights were like they were in the 60s and 70s. No, I, that is not repentance. That's making it worse. Uh, we are trying to go all the way back to the precious garden or go all the way forward to the future coming kingdom of God yep. where there's a, a renewed spirit in all of us that looks a lot like the created spirit breathed into us at the beginning. And one more thing I'll share that uh, I, I'm not sure that every Jewish person would agree with me on this one, but I th- one thing that's powerful for me when I talk about uh, imitatio Dei, the concept of imitating God, right? So God creates, so we should create. God loves, we love. God forgives, we, we forgive. But God also does tshuva. And the one example of this for me is the flood with Noah. God destroys the entire earth, all of humanity, save one man and his family and the fish, uh, and immediately afterwards says, I will never do this again. I am sorry. Now, it's not literally God saying I'm sorry, but this idea that God learns and God grows from things that God has done, possibly things that God regrets. I lift that up to people who tried to come to me with the the God's plan image. And and I like that God has a plan. I, I think of God as very strategic and creative and moving things around in order to help kingdom come. But I also think of God as uh, flexible and creative and receiving new information constantly and growing and changing from that. So whenever I get a, a God's plan conversation started, if I find it to be one of those hardcore God's plan folk who think God wrote it down a bazillion years ago and and we're just dominoes falling in place, uh, I push back on that with that story, the flood story, and the one where Moses comes down off the mountain and God's ready to kill them all <laughs> because of the golden calf. Yep. And Perfect Moses example. talks God out of it and says, no, no, no. And God's 
mind slash heart was changed. Uh, if I remember the Hebrew word there is, it kind of means mind, it kind of means heart, it kind of means soul, spirit. It, it's like God's self. God changed God's own self about that yep. that sense of punishing the people God had just rescued. And for us as Jews, stories like that highlight the power of the covenant between God and the Jewish people, or God and people, that um, that it is a relationship. And uh, there's the also powerful story of Abraham arguing with God to save these two cities of Sodom and Gomorrah that God wants to destroy. And this is after the flooding. So now it's just two cities uh, where there's some wickedness going on, according to the Torah. And Abraham says, well, will you destroy the cities if there's even 50 righteous people? God says, well, I guess, Abraham, if there's 50, I'll save it. And then Abraham's like, okay, I got him the 50. Can I get him the 40? And eventually Abraham uh, argues with God, convincing God that if there's 10 righteous people, God will save them. Now, it turns out there's not. But the point for me of that story is that God is listening to human beings and changing God's plan based on human action. Well, it, it, I'm okay saying that God's great plan is wholeness, peace, and healing for all of humanity. I don't think God changes that part, but I think God does change how to accomplish that based off of the weird way and the sinful way we sometimes use the limited freedom that God has given us as created beings. We use that in unpredictable, odd, weird ways, and God's great arc of justice and love is still going to come true. Uh, but God has to wiggle uh, in order to accommodate the the odd detours we take the people off path. Yeah. I, I think of the Joseph story. Like if if Joseph had, had Joseph had been my brother, I'd have thrown him in the well. Right? I would have sold him to. Okay. to, to <laughs> he, he was this uh, very obnoxious. <laughs> Uh, brother who knew it all and he, he wasn't just a dreamer he was like untethered from reality uh it oh, felt a like braggart yes it was of, ugh, yeah. so awful and and then you know reuben and the others they, they kind of feel weird about it oh no we shouldn't have done that and it's too late he's gone but then because of joseph's journey through the rest of time he he gets his hands dirty he has to do hard work he he has to be not the precious beloved one. He's suddenly the oppressed minority everywhere he is. And and his way of creatively solving problems, he moves up in the ranks of, of Egypt. And when his brothers come to him again and his family comes to him again, boy, he could have crushed them. And it's not the way it goes. He said, look, I, I get it. Y'all intended it right, to do harm to me. But God somehow adjusted the plan uh, and made wholeness and peace come anyway. And who am I to jeopardize that peace by not forgiving you now? So, of course. That story uh, is lifted up in Judaism as the prime example, actually, of tshuva in the Bible, that full circle that Joseph and his family went through. And, of course, Joseph playing the trick on the now youngest brother, Benjamin, where 
to see how the brothers react to Benjamin being captured. Uh, you, we'll put in the show notes the, the chapters of the story if you, if you want to uh, read up and remember. Um, but it really is that full circle of, of growth that not only Joseph does, but that his brothers do. In the New Testament, obviously, there are all kinds of stories about forgiveness. But very often when Jesus is messing around with people and forgiving them, the religious leaders are very upset with him for doing so uh, for one reason or another. Uh, friends bring a lame man and, and cut a hole in the roof and lower him down in front of Jesus. And most of the religious people say, well, if he is lame, that is because of a sin of his parents or a sin of his own. Somebody was stupid in the past or present, maybe him, and him being lame is a consequence of that sin. And Jesus forgives him and tells him, pick up your mat and walk. And he does, is the way the story goes. The religious people are so angry with him for daring to have the power to forgive that man's sins. Never mind the fact that he just walked out, <laughs> right? A layman right. just walked out. And the thing he says in that story is, um, by, by the faith, you are healed. Well, some people interpret that as by the faith of your friends, the ones who brought you to me, I see their faith and I forgive you because of their commitment to you. Either way, though, the religious leaders were very upset with him for assuming to have the power of God to forgive. But in Chuva, it sounds like, well, of course we do. We're imitato dei. We're, we can't forgive the God things but we can forgive the human things. And and that's our responsibility if we're going to, I've never heard that term imitato, um, imitato dei. I've always heard imago dei, image of God. But I love the, uh, yes, I love it, yeah. the imitation, uh, it, the imitating yeah. of God. And that doesn't mean that it's easy. And it certainly doesn't mean that we forget everything that's been done. It's not a naive, oh, you did this horrible thing. We love you. You're part of us. Um, I, I think it's both human nature and in our religions that th there are consequences for actions. Um, but at the end of the day, if someone has the integrity to admit wrong, to seek out reconciliation, I think it behooves us and it's incumbent upon us to allow that person to do so. I like that. I, I remember preaching a sermon. I think I remember the, the title of it. It was Remember and Forgive. And what I was doing is pushing back on the forgive and forget phrase that we throw around lightly, saying that really in, in the way that we do uh, spirituality and the way we are taught by this God to do life itself, Forgiveness is not attached to forgetting. It's remembering what was done and forgiving anyway. And moving forward, moving forward doesn't erase that it was done. Um, like sometimes to forgive someone who really hurt you, you let them go, you forgive them, and you draw a new boundary around them so they never hurt you like that again. That new boundary is not a, a, in opposition to forgiveness. It is a responsible way of allowing forgiveness to enter the relationship. I forgive you for the harm you've done in the past. You will not 
do that harm to me again. This is our new boundary. And, and that boundary can come down if there's repentance and humility and reconciliation, or that boundary can stay up. But the boundary, the presence of the boundary doesn't limit whether or not there is the presence of forgiveness. And in order to have smart boundaries between those who would do us harm and don't get repentance and those who uh, are willing to repent and reconcile, we have to remember when we forgive. Absolutely. And, and you know, Jews don't forget anything. We have 4,000 years of, of memories. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that point is very true for us, I think. I went home and I watched Defiance, by the way. I saw you tweet that. Yeah, what, what did you think? It's powerful. I yeah. My favorite part, it was totally set up to be a hero myth where Tuvia, the lead character, Daniel, Daniel Craig, uh, is going to be the hero. And it, there's even some conversation in there about him being the Moses. But yep. he gets so sick and he gets so skeptical that his little brother and oh, one of the women and the old teacher – they they all pick up the community at different times where he's unable to. And it, it teases you into assuming that the myth of the hero is going to be the way the story goes. And then it destroys that and says, no, it's not about the hero. It's about the community as a whole. Um, and I, I loved that twist on it that was unexpected. Yeah. yeah so last Saturday, uh, a, a friend and congregant and I discussed five movies in the context of Jewish themes and uh, Jewish identity, and Defiance was one of those chosen. And the other four were? Borat, <laughs> A Serious Man, The Producers, and it'll come to me. Oh, um, The Birdcage. Wow. That's the five. Yeah. Okay. That's not necessarily the five that I thought you would pick, but I get it. Well, that we did that purposefully. And I, that would be a fun thing to do uh, on a future episode is talk about kind of pop culture things and how we can find themes that weave in and out of them. The listeners, if you have a, a pop culture idea that you wonder, hey, this pop culture movie, song, something – is trying to speak to spirituality. What do the rabbi and the, and the reverend think about that? Send it to us, uh, uh, realreligionpodcast at gmail.com, and we'll, we'll add it in. I, I'm surprised that Schindler's List or some of the really obvious ones didn't make it into your right. short list, but I, I bet you did that on purpose. We did, and we also very intentionally only picked one movie that sp- – centers specifically and explicitly around the Holocaust. Defiance, um, because, yes. Yep. Um, and it, it's not so much that the movies themselves are so much about Judaism, although in every movie, uh, either the writer, director, or actor is Jewish, or the character in Daniel Craig's case is Jewish. Of course, the, the director of that film was Jewish. Um, but really what they tease out so from Defiance, community was our theme. In Birdcage, assimilation. So uh, you know, if you've seen Birdcage with Robin Williams, who passed too soon, every time I see something with him, 
like the birdcage where he's so brilliant. It just makes me sad. Um, you know, he's a, he's a Jewish gay man and he has to hide both of the, he chooses to hide both of those identities for the sake of his son, who's bringing home his fiance and incredibly conservative parents to their house in South beach. <laughs> uh, and chaos ensues. I very seldom, I'll confess this out loud, I very seldom go see Christian-themed movies. They, eh, right? They're just so uh, the shallow, short version of them. And and I find them to, uh, to play to the shortcut uh, faith as opposed to delving into the complicated nuances of faith where it feels like the real life is for me. So I very seldom go see... Uh, any of those movies, especially if they have, what's his name, Kurt something in it. I I can't do it. I don't know that he used to be on that family sitcom, and now he's grown up and he's a, a hardcore oh, yes. evangelical. I know who you're talking about, Kurt I Cameron. Is that it? Yes, yes. <laughs> I just can't do it. Well done. Uh -oh. I didn't realize he was a he was a kind of a Christian actor now. Oh gosh, yes. Oh, sorry. <laughs> You're going to be looking him up and finding out all kinds of things you didn't want to know. Well, and that's the thing, too, about just to, to tie what you just said in is that this thing with chuva and forgiveness in Judaism, it, it's, it's really not meant to be this intellectual ideal, but that especially during the high holidays, we are in it. Like you are doing it. And, and I think of the uh, scene in Exodus uh, you know, when Moses finds the burning bush, God tells him to do something very strange, which is remove your shoes for this is holy ground. Now, for some cultures, you know, taking off your shoes is a sign of respect. But, you know, a priori, as philosophers would say, there, there's, there doesn't seem to be a connection between taking one's shoes off and holiness. And I heard this amazing interpretation, which is that the taking of the shoes off is a sign of sensitivity to feel the ground to feel, you know our, our, it's what our podcast is to be real to to really understand where the people are and to hear them and and so I, I think of that story a lot when I think about how very much Judaism is this intellectual tradition but it it doesn't mean much if we're not actually living it day to day. One of my sons was uh, out, out house shopping, and as the realtor walked walked them in, they had to either put booties on or take their shoes off. And uh, so, and I was like, I'm not putting booties on. So <laughs> he uh, he takes his shoes off, and he goes, "Oh my gosh, that helps so much! I can feel all the deformations in the floor. It, there's obviously been some like water damage." And then he sent me pictures, and I I'm like, "Yeah, you see the stains on the roof? It's it's." It's had roof leaks. Has it been, is there an addition or something? And he goes, yes, there's an addition. I'm like, oh no, they didn't seal the roof right. But because his shoes were off, he could feel the ground better. Um, yeah. And there's this other story where Jesus and the disciples are, are walking and talking and he advises them, hey, go into some towns and do your very best. And maybe they'll show you hospitality. Maybe they won't. Maybe they'll listen to what you're trying to tell them. Maybe they won't. If they do, great. If they don't, Take your shoes off, dust dust them off, and walk. Um, mm. And it's so it's kind of like a way of forgiveness and boundary setting of that community where they didn't receive you with hospitality. 
they didn't enjoy your company. They didn't uh, engage you on this. Okay, forgive them, but set the boundary. And I've, I've always thought of the dusting of the shoes off, not as a condemnation, but as a, okay, that's the kind of relationship you've chosen. So be it. I'll, I'll let it be. No, I really like that. Can I use that? Of course. <laughs> he tells this other story about a son that wants to take his inheritance and skedaddle. And the dad goes, yeah, okay. Right. And he goes, but then years later he comes back and, and the older brother's really mad that the younger brother gets to come home. But I, I think about the dad's ability to let the son go and make a mistake. And, and then have the boundary like, yeah, if you come back here, you're going to come back here as a redeemed son. But that means you're going to act like you're part of the com community again. And the son does come home, which, you know, and that's Chuva, right? The, the dad, dad welcomes him home, not, not even conditionally, but the son welcomes the conditions. Yes, that's very well said. Yeah, absolutely. One last example is Esau and Jacob. Jo we talked about Joseph. Joseph's father, Jacob, is a little bit of a trickster in the Bible. And, you know, as a child, he kind of uses his wit to uh, get uh, his brother, who is not so smart, his brother's birthright. And he does it fairly. He does it by the letter of the law, but it's not necessarily ethical. I mean, and even the way it's written, you, you know, he takes advantage. He, put, he places a stumbling block before the blind in, in many ways. And then shortly afterwards, he dresses up like his brother to fool his dad into thinking that he is Esau so that he gets the firstborn blessing. And then he runs away for 20 years because uh, Esau might kill him. And during those 20 years, without giving a full-fledged Bible study here, he is tricked by his uncle Levon, thinking he's going to marry Rachel, but instead has to marry Leah. And he switches. He makes a turn. And the, one of the ends of that story is 20 years later, he sees Esau again. They embrace and they cry, which shows the power of forgiveness, the difficulty of it, and also the release and it doesn't mean they're best friends. It doesn't mean they go into business together. It, do, it doesn't mean they talk every day. But it, it's that forgiveness and release of anger and hurt and all that stuff. I wonder if the multiple caravans of gifts sent ahead of Jacob to Esau <laughs> also had something to do with that. Well, and that's that's just his pragmatics. I mean, that he was afraid and, I mean, he wanted to butter him up, which, I mean, I—, I that's reasonable, right? <laughs> it is kind of reasonable. <laughs> if you really think of the harm that you've done to your brother, and it was so long ago, and you have no clue what to do to repair it, well, yeah, it, there's words, there's gifts, there's submission, there's all these strategies, but they're the same strategies that have been around forever. If it's a bribe, it's gross. If it's a gift, it, it can be beautiful. And Absolutely. Nice. Well, forgiveness is the center in a lot of ways of what we do. We are trying to convince people and that forgiveness is real and possible. Um, Rabbi Jesus says this one more weird thing. He says, uh, anything that you hold on to here is probably held on there. 
But anything you release here is released there. Mm. And I, I like that way of thinking about it. Um, not to say that God is waiting for us to be the forgiving in order for God's forgiveness to happen. God can do what God wants, and we've talked about that. But it is a reminder that if, if we want the kingdom life now, forgiveness is a, a link in the, the chain toward it. And I would add to that and being forgiven, that yes. we all have work to do with regard to forgiveness, and we also can seek out that forgiveness for ourselves, even from ourselves. Nice. What what prestige are you now in Call of Duty? Uh, oh, Joel, it's been it's I've, I've, I'm still two, but I'm 89. You're not going to put this. Is, we're not podcasting now, right? Well, like sure. This is, yeah, this goes in. <laughs> Thank you for joining us on the Real Religion Podcast today, where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion. I'm Reverend Joel Talbert, and on behalf of Rabbi Eric Linder and all the Real Religion fans out there, we thank you for being with us today and invite you to send us any feedback or suggestions or topic ideas to realreligionpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, keep it real.